pictures, not to mention 2,000 rooms. I was beating my way around Texas, half hidden under a 10-gallon hat, existing on a voluntary loan from a bellboy. My laundry was in hock, and a gun-toting constable was trying to find places to hang up the court judgments against me. It was a presumptuous and outrageous time to dream. Still, I cut out that picture of the Waldorf and wrote across it, The Greatest of Them All. As soon as I had won back a desk of my own, I slipped the dog-eared clipping under the glass top. From then on, it was always in front of me. Fifteen years later, in October 1949, the greatest of them all became a Hilton Hotel. It had taken a lot of work, four years of delicate negotiation, and even before that, careful planning. It had taken a lot of prayer. During the final crucial days, I had attended church at 6.30 each morning. No matter how late we worked into the night, I started the day on my knees. The weekend of the Waldorf's silver anniversary, I went again to Neil and St. Patrick's Cathedral. I was giving thanks not for the Waldorf, but for the all-American right to dream with the actual possibility of seeing that dream come true. Right there, I think I saw the reason why so many successful men keep an almost boyish love of America and democracy. It isn't because she doesn't ask sacrifices. We all know better than that. It isn't because she offers an easy route. I guess nobody ever had it harder than Abraham Lincoln. It isn't because we are always getting pie in the sky or automatically entitled to two chickens in every pot. I myself had looked up from the bottom of the heap with 38 cents in my pocket and seen only a mountain of debt. But even then, I had the complete confidence that our way of life offered me the freedom to crawl back up and eventually push out my horizons as far as my vision and strength would carry me. Going even further back, what could have seemed more impossible than that the gangling youngster who rode his pony Chiquita, swam in an irrigation ditch, worked 14 hours a day in a general store in an isolated sun-baked town, doing business with Spaniards, Mexicans, Indians, rough trappers and miners, would one day whirl around a dance floor in white tie and tails with some of the loveliest and most distinguished ladies of the world, or be host two days later to 3,500 guests at a reception in the Waldorf's Grand Ballroom, or, on the official birthday, greet 350 of New York's most prominent men at luncheon, and follow that with a dinner in the cert room, where we wined and dined 100 or more employees who had been with the new Waldorf since it opened its doors, long before I ever ventured out of the Southwest, except in dreams. The type of dreaming that appeals to me has nothing to do with a reverie, an idle daydream. It isn't wishful thinking, nor is it a type of revelation reserved for the great ones and rightly called vision. What I speak of is a brand of imaginative thinking backed by enthusiasm, vitality, expectation, to which all men may aspire. To accomplish big things, I am convinced you must first dream big dreams. True, it must be in line with progress, human and divine, or you are wasting your prayer. It has to be backed by work and faith or it has no hands and feet. Maybe there's even an element of luck mixed in, but I am sure now that without this master plan you have nothing. My own dreams were smaller than some, bigger than others. Some had flaws in them and fell apart before they could take form. Others were misguided. The energy behind them had to be redirected according to a sounder plan, and all that is part of this story. Six months after the Waldorf anniversary, however, when I looked at what remained of San Antonio, my father's town, at what had once been my bank, I knew for sure that the beginning was always the same. 
it always started with a dream. It was hard to believe that this small, this very small square building with the barred windows, the dusty interior, so recently vacated when the United States Post Office moved out, had once been my greatest pride, the New Mexico State Bank of San Antonio. Yet this had been my first big dream, and I worked harder making it a reality, suffered more heartbreak, struggled against bigger odds over this infinitesimal building in the middle of nowhere than at any other time in my career, barring the Depression. And that, of course, is another story. In 1919, I was 31 years old, trying to rebuild with the tag ends of my father's dream. Day in and day out, I sat in a small $30 a month office in Socorro, New Mexico's Valverde Hotel, trading a carload of mohair, a few furs, some cattle, a bunch of hides. After 18 years of work, clerk at 13, then trader, merchant, speculator.